Hello, everyone. I'm Jahan Wang, Executive Vice President and Head of Entertainment Banking at City National. I'm honored to have you join us for another episode of Conversations. Today, we have a special guest, Sean Cerconi, founder and CEO of Broadway Licensing Global. Broadway Licensing Global has earned its place as an industry leader in theatrical licensing and holding a very distinguished record of over 40 Tony and 49 Pulitzer winning works. Sean's remarkable journey in the theater industry has led him to create, produce, and distribute live stage theatrical content in over 90 countries. Before taking on his current role, Sean made significant contributions at theatrical rights worldwide and founded Broadway On Demand, an Emmy-nominated streaming platform. Sean has been recognized as one of Crane's business top 40 under 40 in the industry. Sean, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today on the podcast. Welcome. Oh man, the pleasure is all mine. It, it's kind of crazy. You, you like read that and I'm like, really? Who's that guy? <laughs> <laughs> you are very well accomplished, sir. Thank you. It's it's really, really cool to be here. And I'm, I'm happy to have this conversation, excited about it. So Sean, um, tell us how you got started on Broadway. Uh, I grew up in New York. You know, uh, I, I'm my family's Italian immigrants, you know, working class. My grandfather had a... Um, you know, a dry cleaning business near Yankee Stadium, you know, in the 50s. But I, I grew up in the Hudson Valley. Uh, and, you know, my, my family was really into music, Italian immigrant, grandparents, opera on all the time. My dad, a child of the, the 60s and 70s and like, you know, lived in a commune and played bluegrass music on street corners. And so like, it was a really interesting childhood. So, but we never went to Broadway. Mm. We couldn't afford it. Um, that was like fancy things for fancy people. But what we did do and what my grandparents used to make me for many times force me um, sit on Sunday nights was to watch um, PBS great performances. And so I saw all the great operas, you know, um, with Pavarotti and Domingo and, you know, and it was just amazing. And so uh, it was, I think, around uh, the early 80s, uh, I called into a radio station, um, K104 in Poughkeepsie, because they were giving away Broadway tickets to a show that I'd never heard of before called Serafina. Um, and I won the tickets. And so we went to see that show. Um, and I had no idea what it was about. And if, you know, for those who know, it, it, it's it's a show that came from South Africa that was about um, you know, the Soweto uprisings and, and children using their voices to, you know, for social political change. I mean, what a, a heavy show for, for like an 11 year old kid, you know what I mean? And I just remember leaving the theater in absolute tears. It was unbelievably uh, impactful and joyous and celebratory, but also I couldn't believe what was happening in South Africa. I didn't know where South Africa was, you know? Uh, it was such an impactful thing because I realized in that moment that theater can change people's views, can educate people. It has the power to move you, you know, to to make people go out and do things that they wouldn't do. And there's something about the live experience, which then later I learned, you know, is the cathartic experience, the empathetic experience, the communion between the actors and the audience and all those things you come to learn when you study. And that, like, I was hook, line, and sinker from, from that point on. From a young, young age. From a young age, from a very young age. And um, 
Yeah, so that's what I wanted to do. And I didn't know how it was going to manifest itself. Not for she thinking you're an actor or whatever, and, you know. Um, but what I realized was that I really wanted to change the world and use this particular art form, this very powerful thing, to do so. Wow, that 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 sounds uh, pretty amazing. And and can you can you tell us from that point forward how did you actually make your way? to Broadway. So, so that was the seed, a very powerful. I showed up at the stage door like everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. I showed up at the stage door and they were like, come on in. Hardly. Uh, it has been a long and winding road. It's fascinating. I just was uh, at an event last night with my dad and we were reminiscing and I, you know, I remember telling them, they were like, what do you want to do after high school? Whatever. And I was like, oh, I want to be in theater. And they're like, no, what do you really want to do? <laughs> right. And and now we la laugh about it. But I, you know, I went to school for nursing because at the time there was a nursing shortage and they were really pushing me into nursing and then like EMTs, whatever. And so, but none of those things I, I didn't want to do. I actually didn't go to class. It was terrible. Like <laughs> my GPA was really bad. And I, I tell people you're calling. It wasn't my calling. I tell kids this yeah. story all the time because like sometimes it's not that you're bad at something. It's just not the thing you're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, finally, I, I said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And I ended up going to a, a place called Frostburg State University. I went out there and, and I loved it because there was nothing. There was no distractions like New York and I could just immerse myself. Um, I then was lucky enough uh, to get a scholarship to West Virginia University um, uh, for my MFA. And then right out of grad school, I, I started producing um, and I got a job as an assistant at this place called the Carousel Dinner Theater in Akron, Ohio. You know, Broadway was way, 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 way far away from Akron, Ohio and the, and the dinner theater. Um, but the thing that was really interesting was, you know, they were doing $6 million a year in gross revenue and spending, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars uh, on each production. And that was more money that you could possibly comprehend as a 20 year old trying to produce a show. Right. And so um, I got very involved and I had some amazing mentors um, because I was really into developing new work. And that's how I got to New York and met people like Kent Nicholson and Sue Frost and Randy Adams, Tony Award winning producers and Nancy Gibbs, Tony Award winning general manager and producer. And, and they really took me under their wing um, and continue to do so over the last 20 years. Well, that's a that's a pretty amazing journey, and and it's obvious you're you're very passionate. So, tell us a little bit about the theatrical licensing part of this. So, so this is it. It seems to me uh, is a could be very much a natural extension, but maybe you tell us a, a little bit how how uh, you you picked that particular avenue. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's uh, it's a even a niche uh, within a cottage industry, right? Um, so. Just nuts and bolts, uh, theatrical licensing is really the management uh, and protection of the intellectual property. It's almost, you know, if it was going to be a dry conversation, it's kind of asset management, right, in some way. It's copyright protection. We, on behalf of the authors and the underlying rights holders, um, manage their IP, their plays and musicals, and we capture the royalties that are compulsory with each and every license worldwide. And then we distribute those royalties 
to all the different participants in a play. It's usually one or maybe two royalty participants in a musical. As you can imagine, it can be hundreds of participants, right? And music publishers, et cetera. So, so it can be sometimes simple and sometimes super complicated. And then all of the licensees, um, which are the three major markets, meaning professional markets, um, there's approximately uh, 1,286 professional theaters in the United States. Um, there's somewhere around 7,000 community theaters. There's 29,000 high schools. Those are the three markets in the U.S. Um, the U.S. by and large is the largest licensing market with the U.K. being about 25% of the US, U.S. or North American market, Australia and New Zealand being about 15%, and then there's smatterings the rest of the, uh, globally. So we uh, manage and distribute those pieces of IP to that entire marketplace, capture those royalties, and then distribute those royalties to the on behalf of the authors. However, what is interesting, right? That's the nuts and bolts. What's really interesting about it is that it touches more people and more theater goers than Broadway and West End combined, because it really is the grassroots of what theater is around the world. When you have all of these regional theaters, community theaters, and high school theaters, when you think about the patrons and the uh, extension of the arts into local communities, and that's where, where it's really making a difference, and that's what drew me to it. When I thought about the amount of people and the limited people and the demographic that's coming to Broadway, they may not necessarily the people who need theater the most. So when I, I un, you know, learned this side of the business, I said, you know what, this is, I think, where we can make a difference in the world, not be too hyperbolic about it, but the world, in my opinion, has an empathy problem right now, right, in our generation. And I think we are seeing a lot of mess because of that. And theater uh, at that level, we know, you know, all the studies show live theater and involvement in the arts shows major growth in empathy and communication and understanding in young people. And so if we want to fix this, I'm a firm believer in STEAM versus STEM because I think arts are the basis for the growth and solving these challenges that we face globally. Uh, Sean, you are so passionate. And, and it just goes back to Serafina, right? Because what you just said is is exactly what you experienced. And, and you're now passing it on, right? And, and you're amplifying, right? So, so uh, that is really uh, commendable. And, and um, you must feel very good that you're able to, to do this for other folks, right? It's cool. Yeah, it's very it's cool. So, it's it really cool, cool. To, to see kids um, and to see people in far reaches of the globe have have these experiences, right? Because that's their local local thing, and that's one of the things you know. Living in Ohio taught me it was really fascinating. I I, I bring up this example uh, many times. There was this one night where I was talking to somebody at a restaurant in Cleveland, and um, they said, "Oh, you know what? On Friday night, I'm 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 going to see a Broadway show," and I was like, "Oh, oh, you're going to New York? You know where?" You're gonna go get some pizza, or whatever, and they're like, "No, no, no, no! I'm, I'm, I'm here in Cleveland. I'm seeing a, a Broadway show here in Cleveland." And I didn't understand it. It's not a destination; it's a classification, right? And so Broadway exists everywhere. It's the longest street in the world, and so that's the thing, and that's where we come in. Now that 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 is fascinating. Hey, as the CEO of Broadway Licensing Global, what what was the vision? I I, I can 
I sort of heard it already in that in that prior conversation, but tell us what was the vision of the company and how has it evolved since you started it uh, back in 2017? So when I got into uh, licensing, <clears throat> excuse me, I had um, taken a job uh, as a director of licensing for theatrical rights worldwide. And one of the reasons I think I got that job was because I actually had a pretty good network of people within the um, regional theater community. And so I was a customer. And um, so, you know, if, if you want to become a salesperson, best salespeople make the, you know, come from the customers because you know what the pain points are. And that's really what, I, when, I, when I started and I was like, okay, wh what are the pain points that I need to solve for my customers? Right. And I started looking at the business in that particular way, whether that be a professional theater or a local high school. And the interesting thing, I think I really would like to say this because I think uh, one of the things I was became a huge aha moment to me was high school theater teachers have more in common with a Broadway producer than a regional theater artistic director. And the reason for that is because their pain points are exactly the same as the commercial Broadway producer. The subsidized, uh, the subsidized theater uh, in the regional theaters, whether that's from the NEA or from the Carthage Foundation or whatever grants, whatever's right, you, whether you're 25% or you're 50% or you're 75% if you're super lucky, right, subsidized in your theater, you're being given money to subsidize your operations. We did a study. 52% uh, of high school theater teachers get $0 from their school administration, local, state, or federal government. So everything they do, much like a commercial producer, they have to raise the capital to make it happen. Okay. So they are the commercial product and their programs run on the box office. So once we started looking at these commonalities, we knew what the pain points were for a commercial producer. So I wanted to create a company that was really focused on solving the pain points and streamlining the pain points for these customers. Because once you do that, then it makes their job easier and you can actually um, uh, bring more people into the, um, into the theater uh, that way. And, and I'll give you a great example of it. So a licensing company May, may represent a particular title for, you know, 18 years, even life of copyright, right? That's the terms of the agreements. And so when these, when these productions get done, there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of productions around the world that play of an, any individual show. So very, very lucky to uh, have Clue as the top licensing play in America the last four years, right? We also re represent the play that goes wrong. Um, we now are the home for Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, which will be released next year. We have all the data of every single group that is doing that show. Every box office data, every single ticket, group sales, subscriber data. We know what the, how many people came in. We can get all the demographic. And my question when I was looking at this, when I came into this side of the industry was, what are we doing with it? And how are we using this data to aggregate it, to get business insights, to provide insights back to the licensee, back to the customer, so they can do better job of putting more people in their seats, which helps the institution, which actually generates more revenue for our underlying rights holders. So it's a symbiotic relationship.
And so that that notion of solving those types of pain points and using the aggregating data in, uh, of all the different productions and looking at these pieces as portfolios and how can we manage these pieces in the long term with what we're learning, that's kind of was was what we thought was the new mousetrap that we could build to launch Broadway licensing. And what you're doing, I believe, is you are modernizing Broadway and you're bringing Broadway to a digital age. And, and that that's a, probably another conversation we're going to have through your your streaming platform. But um, fascinating. Uh, you're, you're obviously able to see far ahead. Right, because it seems like to me you're you're uh, definitely ahead in, in in terms of Broadway. So uh, kudos to you, and and you've got you're working or collaborating with some pretty interesting uh, writers: Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams, and Stephen King. You know, I know when uh, because we at City National Bank are involved in IP and and we we deal with writers and songwriters and when when people license their works it's it's almost like their baby right so so obviously you are are very persuasive and a very good caretaker uh for these folks can you tell us what it's like to to work with the writers or their estates or or their heirs what what, what is that like so when when we acquired uh Dramatis play service uh <laughs> just tell you a little story um i got the phone call that that we were going to be the home for, of, of it and that's you know all those amazing I icons, the, the, the icons of theater, right? My first call, I swear to you, was to this guy named Jerry McGonigal. He was my um, MFA thesis professor at West Virginia University. I called him and I said, hey, Jerry, who's got two thumbs and represents Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams now? This guy. <laughs> <laughs> what an accomplishment. What a coup. I was just like, honestly, every day I wake up and I, and I, I like, I pinch myself because the, these, you know, I've read and studied. We all have, yeah, and and we get to be the home, and we not only take it seriously. And that's one of the things about Broadway licensing. We're very proud of our culture. We have this saying: if we take the work seriously. We do not take ourselves seriously, um, and and it's really important uh, to us because it's called a play for a reason. This is supposed to be fun. This is a privilege to do this. Working with these estates. It is both an honor and a thrill. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, we we ensure the legacy and appreciate the legacy of what it is. And the most exciting stuff that we get to do is when we can bring our flavor and stamp and kind of these new ideas and innovative ideas. You know, innovation is one of our core values to these legacy pieces or to these uh, legacy estates and and say, hey, have you thought about doing this? Have you thought about doing that? How can we, you know, bring this into the modern age and into this moment in time and react to the marketplace? Because as we all know, this was something we haven't showed, you know, Broadway is shifting sands right now. There's major shifting in all entertainment, specifically in live entertainment. Um, and, uh, you know, we think that we're positioned with, uh, you know, our strategies of, of we're seeing kind of where the road may be going here. Um, and it's not only, you know, our, our great honor, but it's our responsibility to these estates and to these authors and to these underlying rights holders to try to steward that. I, uh, I'm sure it feels like a privilege without a doubt. And that's a great segue because you launched Broadway on Demand in 2020. 
which if if I recall, also happens to be the year of the pandemic. But uh, can you tell us a little bit more about, about Broadway and demand and what, what inspired the venture? Although I have a funny feeling I already know based off of some of the things you just said, but, <laughs> but, but uh, maybe speak specifically about Broadway on demand. Sure. That, I mean, that was a crazy time, right? Yeah, it was. Um, Broadway was hit right, right between the eyes, dead between the eyes. It yeah. was. Live entertainment. So here's the tr- truth of the situation. We had no idea what we were doing. That's that's the God's honest truth. I tell people all the time. I'm like, we don't know. Like we we're trying to figure it out, right? And we we sat in March. I, I had the great fortune. I, I have some great colleagues in China um, who I'm very close with, and they had already been shut down. Um, and so over Christmas of 19 into the into the new year, you know, I was already doing FaceTime or whatever. I don't know if it was even Zoom at that time. And they were like, hey, Sean, a couple things. One, go buy masks. Two, you got to figure out streaming because they were all home and um, they had shown me some reports and streaming was going through the roof. Um, so in January and February of that year, we actually set up our entire staff remotely. And I I remember specifically, we closed our office February 23rd. This was three weeks before Broadway shut down. And I said, you guys are all staying home. We put in high speed internet into everybody's apartments. And we were like, no one's coming to the office. We're figuring this thing out. We had started in March of that year, uh, you know, early days of March, trying to figure out what streaming was going to be. And we didn't know where it was going to go. And the other really big decision we had was, a lot of companies furloughed people. We thought about it and we said, you know what? We are, if we bet right here, this can be a really exciting time for us. So we kept everybody on and we said, we are going to pivot part of our team. Um, part of the team is going to manage the cancellations, uh, you know, and postponements. And the other part of our team is going to start working on this new venture. Broadway on demand was just streaming. And I was calling colleagues, like, what do you know about streaming? Who do you know? And I got hooked up um, with some really great people um, based in LA. Um, and they walked us through. We built our own streaming platform. A bunch of theater kids figuring it out, right? And, and so we, you know, we were playing tech. You know, we wore hoodies and everything. And so, <laughs> and so, and so like, we were like, I don't know. Um, and like, it worked. It was crazy. It was like, oh my, within like, you know, 60 days, we had a platform and, it, you know, and we're like, I went on to GoDaddy and I was like, I don't know what we call it. Like, is check, is broadwayondemand.com available? And I was like, oh my gosh, it is. 99 cents. I was like, that's 99 cents we spent. 99 cents. <laughs> right? And, and so like, we were off and going and crazy enough, um, all the schools and this this was the, the crazy thing, right? All the schools pivoted to being online and they still had their theater teachers. Schools weren't furloughing their staff. It was just, it was the professional theaters. And our company at the time had like uh, 89% of our business was in the amateur market, right? So we were really heavy on that side of the business. Uh, and so when, when all the professional theaters closed, like it, it impacted us, but not a lot. Um, we, we still had pretty good cash flow, and then we provided a pain point solve. Here was uh, the two things that we were worried about was when people were going remote and they were going to start doing remote shows. We were worried that the copyright of the files of the videos were going to end up on YouTube. 
and that there was going to be tens of thousands of these productions floating on YouTube, which is against the copyright of the author. So this was not only a pain point solved that we were giving a platform for these schools to be able to do this, but also we were providing a pain point solved to our authors and underlying rights holders that we controlled the files. And so the schools had to use the platform to be able to do what they needed to do, right? So that's how Broadway On Demand was formed. Um, and then we found other professional uses for it. Now, that was a true pain point solve that ended up into, you know, many other things. And then what we learned from what, and what we realized is all forms of art have been digitized except one, theater. Music has been digitized right? Even art has been digitized, right? Obviously film, television. And so the last vestiges is the live theater. And so we went through and we started talking about, we were like, okay, what's the difference between Spotify and iTunes and Napster? And like, oh, we were like kind of in the Napster age of this digitization. And what is the positive outcomes of digitization? And what's the negatives? Because there's negatives too, right? And so I think that's where theater stands. It definitely got a boost during COVID, um, if to come back out the other side. And I think there's some really challenging questions that need to be answered from a participation, a financial participation standpoint and how it works. But we're seeing the digitization happen in theater internationally much faster than it's happening in the United States. So like in right now in London, it's happening at a much quicker rate. And the costs associated with digitizing productions and capturing productions is much lower. So you'll see a lot more things happening from London um, or from the UK in general. So that's how Broadway On Demand was born. Um, and it was at, you know, at the end of the day, it was really trying to figure these things out. Distribution, solving pain points for our amateur customers and continuing to be innovative. And, and, and that is the typical successful entrepreneur story, right? You identify a pain point, you're able to solve the pain point and everybody wins, right? You, you, you mentioned um, earlier, Sean, about how Broadway is changing, right? And it sounds like to me, and, and if if the U.S. is maybe behind in digitizing Broadway or, or live performance, um, how do you see Broadway on demand potentially helping either pull Broadway forward or helping Broadway? Um, how, how do you see that? Uh, possibly occurring through the the help of this vehicle that you've created. Yeah, I I go back to um, the one the one model that really fascinated me. Um, it, you know, family from the Bronx, huge New York Yankees fan, and so if you go back to I think the, I think it was I think it was ninety eight or ninety nine, they launched MLB.com, and uh, I believe at Major League Baseball the deal was and roughly. It was every team was going to put up a million dollars for three years and they were going to launch, you know, game streaming. Um, and it was so successful building the platform in the first year that they didn't need the second and third tranche from the teams. And that is a in-person and was an in-person business with television rights and all those things. Right. And so that was really fascinating to me. And then if you look at Yes Network, it's Yankee Entertainment Sports. And so again, they're an in-person premium experience, which they also have an at-home experience as well. And I think the things that the, the Steinbrenners learned from that was they expanded their audience. And that's what you're doing. That's what you're doing for Broadway. 
I, I, in my opinion, that is the goal of theater yeah. should be continued to expand your audience. That's and, right. you know, we, you know, we talk a lot about in, in my, in my journey uh, over the last couple of decades, we've talked a lot about accessibility in the theater and ways to solve accessibility. And that's both from a socioeconomic standpoint, that's both from a disability standpoint, from an elderly standpoint, you know, subscribers age out, they can't come to the theater anymore, right? Those kinds of things. And so, so accessibility is always part of the mission. And what, in my, in my opinion, what's more thrilling, you know, kids on the South side of, of Chicago, they can't even, you know, they, they, they can't even get in a school bus. They can't for, forget affording the school bus. It's hard enough to get the parents' permissions signed off and get them all in, right? To get them to go to the Goodman. Well, then how do we get the Goodman to go to them? Live. And this, this was the thing with Broadway on Demand that was, um, I thought was a real game changer for us. We made the core competency of the streaming experience live. Because theater is a temporal art form. And I think the most successful pieces um, have been the pieces that have leaned into the live experience. And I know it's scary. It's a scary thing, especially for performers, right? But you know, if the show's happening at eight o'clock and the curtain time and you're watching, it's happening. And I don't think you should be able to stop it. I don't think you should be able to pause it. I don't think like, it, it's an extension of the live experience. It's an extension of the seating in the area. And you should be able to watch live. And when it's over, it's over. That's it. Right. And so to me, that's what streaming theater, digitization of theater is. I don't think the digitization is we're going to take 12 cameras and we're going to do three shows and we're going to shoot it and we're going to cut it together. And I, I think that's a film. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> right? I agree with you. And so the other aspect of it, which is the pay-per-view model, right? We we kind of conceive it as the the, the UFC pay-per-view, right? The boxing pay-per-view. Like it's there, it's gone, whatever. It's the Super Bowl. And so nobody wants to watch the Super Bowl the next day. <laughs> well put. No, that that is great. And 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 obviously, Sean, you're you're a, a leader here. Um let me let me ask you a question. You know, back in 2022. You teamed up with uh, West Virginia University School of Theater and Dance and the West Virginia Public Theater to create a scholarship program. What inspired you to create that program and and, and what do you hope will come from it? I, I love this question because I, I, I'm very passionate about this. So yeah, I can tell. So what I didn't say earlier is when I graduated from Frostburg, I went to a bunch of different um, auditions for grad school. I really felt like I didn't get enough training. I, I, I didn't grow up in the theater and I really I really wanted more to learn more. And so I went to this, this thing called ERDAS, which is University Resident Theater Association Auditions, where all the grad schools go and and you get a call back. Um, you know, and I went with my buddy and he got 13 callbacks and I got none. I had zero callbacks. And so uh, West Virginia University was at that Erda, I kind of saw my professor in undergrad in the hall one day, and she said to me, she was, hey, uh, West Virginia is having local auditions for the grad program. And I was like, yeah, I know, I already auditioned for them, they passed, right? And she was like, I really think, Sean, you should drive over there, it's only an hour, right, to Morgantown. Um, I didn't have a car, I borrowed somebody's car, you know, and uh, you should go audition for them. And I was doing a lot of work in student producing, and I was directing stuff, and I was writing my own work, and those kinds of things. So. 
I went and auditioned and the guy's name is Jerry McGonigal, uh, the head of that program. And he said, didn't I see you at Erdis? And I was like, no, not, not, at, not at all. Not at Erdis. He's like, I'm pretty sure I saw you. And I did my audition and he said, okay, Sean, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about you? And I said, well, I had this entire book of like just press clippings and stuff I was writing and he was flipping through it. And he said, your audition was okay. I'm giving you a slot because this is awesome. You're doing all this stuff. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, man, you're, you're working your tail off. And I was like, well, I, I appreciate that. I feel like I'm trying to catch up. So he gave me a full ride because, because the stuff I was putting together and when I had no other option and I got that, got the full ride. When I got to West Virginia, I, I wrote a grant at the state to create the West Virginia Shakespeare Festival, which we became a professional company offshoot of the university um, theater department. And so those were really the foundation building blocks. Um, so when, you know, I was thinking about like, you know, I really want to go back and do something for students, especially students in West Virginia um, who come from rural West Virginia, um, we created a scholarship that's based on new work. And that's based on kids creating something. And part of the, you know, 50% of the scholarship actually goes to their tuition, uh, you know, or to their books. The other 50% they have to use to produce the new work that they're working on because that was the opportunity that was afforded to me. And I, if I never had that opportunity to actually put it into practice with real dollars, I would never have been where I was. And if I had not had that one person take that chance on me, I would never be where I was today. So that's that's what inspired it. That is a, a great story and it actually is very inspirational. Um you you are obviously a very good soul, Sean. Obviously a very oh, good thanks, soul. Man. I appreciate that. Yeah. Can you can you tell us about any of the projects that you've worked on in the past that were pretty exciting or anything you'd like to share about a project that you've been associated with? I'm genuinely excited about the stuff that we're doing, like cross-platform with the company, right? So we do we do distribution really well. Um, we do we have the whole streaming arm that we're doing. We have a whole creative arm. We have a division in our company um, called Stageworks. We're, we're developing new shows. We have I think there's uh, you know nine or, or ten commissions with new authors that we're working on, and we're partnering with professional theaters, regional theaters, and authors to ensure that new work finds a home and has a path to be produced. Um, we're working with young writers, obviously the, the scholarship program, right? So, so all these things, um, we also, you know, I, I've written a couple shows with my creative partner, David Abenanti, and we, we just had a, um, opening night last night of Elvis. What don't you do, Sean? <laughs> my gosh, what, what do you not do? <laughs> I want to do all of it, man. <laughs> like that was the whole point. It's just fun, um, and I and I love learning about it. I love learn. If I don't know about a part of the business, I, I'm so I'm so. Uh, in love with the business. I'm so in love with the craft and the art form that I just want to jump in and like, okay, tell me about this, right? How, how do I figure this part out and how can I help, you know, move this aspect of the business forward uh, and, and bring our energy to it? So um, we just opened uh, Elvis and Musical Revolution at the Walnut Street uh, Theater. We, we previously um, opened in Sydney uh, earlier this summer. Um, and that's a show that, that we've created from the ground up at Broadway Licensing. Um, so that was really cool. Um, um, and then, you know, we're, we're associate producers on Back to the Future and like being a part of that on Broadway is unbelievably thrilling, right? So 
So every day, and you know, what's the next thing? That that's kind of what I'm excited about. It's like, okay, cool. All these things that we've accomplished, this is great. What are the opportunities that are going to afford themselves? And probably more importantly, who are going to be the next group of amazing human beings that we're going to be able to do it with? Because at the end of the day, it's not what you do, it's really who you do it with. So I don't know if you were to project forward, what what do you what are your aspirations for Broadway licensing global? I mean, you got some good dreams. I can see your the energy. I mean, it's all there. Like I, I think you're unstoppable. I, I started this company for really, really one reason. The the truth true reason was the the thing I learned about theater was if you have the right people, anything's possible. You cannot put a predetermined destination because it will never be as exciting or or as interesting than if you approach it in this particular manner. And to me, you know, people are like, you work in licensing and you call yourself a producer. I'm like, yes, I, I am a producer, but that is what I am. And the reason why I call myself a producer is because I define producing by this particular phrase. The role of a producer is to provide the resources and the environment in which a set of people can exceed their own expectations. That's what a producer does to me. And so what I really love doing is providing that really interesting environment, safe environment where creative people can can come together and provide them the resources to do that because what comes out of that group is far more thrilling than if I just said, here's where we're going and stuck something on the map. We have never set like, here's where we're going. We've, we've just kind of surfed, right? And so um, that's, I can't tell you like, here's where it's going to be. All I know is that it's going to be really cool. It's going to be really interesting. And the group of people that we have at, at our company, our executive team, man, is so killer. We have, we have people who've run major regional theaters. We have Broadway producers on our team. We have writers and composers on our team. It is made up of theater people who care deeply about the intellectual property and about these authors and the composers and the people we represent, but who also want to change the world. And, and that's kind of like what you buy into. So um, on the near term, you know, we're opening our office in London. Um, and then, you know, we have some projects that are happening uh, in China, which is really kind of cool. Um, so yeah, that, those are the things I think I'm most excited about right now. Let me ask you a question about TV and and the 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 whole landscape, right? Of of streaming and, and has obviously changed TV in in uh, in a pretty major way. Do you see opportunities for talent, maybe to since you're doing streaming on demand, um, or Broadway on demand, I should say? Um, what what do you do? You see talent kind of migrating more to Broadway based off of what's happening uh, uh, in streaming and TV and film. Anything interesting there that in, in terms of what you're seeing from your from your chair? Yeah, the, the thing that's really interesting to me is that it keeps coming back to there is something about the live experience that she continues to draw all artists of all flavors back. Pop stars, film stars, like you name, right? You just can't get away from it. Um, and it's, I think it's that Im immediacy, but but it is that communion of 
between actor and audience, between performer and audience, and the information that flows out and the information that flows back. And when that cycle is jamming, right, like that, that thrill for both the audience and the performer uh, is not something that you can get anywhere else. So I, I think people will always come to the theater to try to explore what it is. What I'm really curious about is who's going to take it and turn it on its head make a prediction well, make a prediction well here's the thing this is it's i don't know if it's if it's a prediction it's more of like here's a lesson i was thinking one day about this and i was and this was a very profound thought i had and and it's has stuck with me a very long time thousands of years ago the center of the theater universe was in greece hundreds of years ago the center of the theater universe was in london today the center of the theater universe is Broadway. It has changed. And it keeps changing. There you go. Like, right? And so like the, the notion that anything is, is static, there's only one way to coast and it's downhill, right? And so I think if as long as we continue to understand that theater is gonna continue to evolve and that you embrace that evolution, whether that's the location, the destination, the platform, the form, whatever it is, as long as we're accepting and interested and intrigued by what the next artist delivers or group of artists delivers, that is what the path is going to be. It will not be what the past is. The past is the past. So all these artists who are coming from many different genres and their contributions, I, I, they're all welcome to tum, come to the Broadway community because I think it just makes that it, that much more vibrant and that much more interesting. You know, you you are a trailblazer. We're going to end it here because that was a great way to kind of end this. Uh, I found to be incredibly interesting, and um, I thoroughly enjoyed your your stories and your journey. Um, you are a trailblazer, Sean, and um, uh, continue to lead Broadway and. Um, um, let's see where it goes. And I have a funny feeling wherever it, it's headed, you're going to be right there. You're going to be right there. So thank you, Sean, for joining us. That's so kind of you. I appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun. <laughs>